Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. On Friday we had an awesome time here. Um, We did uh, session three, the inheritance of the primogeniture, part one. And there we laid out the issues of birthright and the kinds of blessings that come to the primogeniture. The primogeniture is a term that is applied to the eldest or the firstborn in a family who is the beneficiary of privilege, status, and responsibility. I said to you, um, he has a fatherly or patriarchal blessing with a prophetic utterance. He is a double portion of his father's estate. He has headship in the absence of his father, headship of the family. In some instances, he succeeded to official dignitaries or dignities and rights of his father. He has the power of representation in that in his singularity, he inherently has a corporiety. So when he stands, he doesn't stand as a man. He stands as the embodiment of a host of others. And then I also said in some um, instances, firstborn son, is symbolically reflective of high priesthood, and that we will explore um, when we when we get there at a later session. Basically, um, if you look on your first page of the new note, session four, we are still dealing with the inheritance of the primogeniture, part two. But before we get there, I said this to you. I said, our greatest inheritance is who? Who is our inheritance? It's God the Father. Please, you must understand this. Our greatest inheritance is God the Father. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says that we are heirs of God and we are joint heirs with Christ. Repeat after me, I am an heir of God the Father. I'm an heir of God the Father, and listen carefully, I can only access all that the Father represents because of my joint inheritance with Christ His Son. Right? Um, An inheritance exists in a will. For the will to be active, it requires the death of the testator. Jesus died and He paid the price so that the, the... The blessing, the contents of the world could be activated in our lives. He is the Father's firstborn. But when He took us out of the kingdom of darkness and we translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, we automatically became everything that He is. Legally, we are sons of God in the earth. He is the firstborn Son and so are we. Whatever he is privy to and has access to, so do we. We are heirs not only of all that he has, we are heirs of all that he is. You must understand this. Because many people, when they think firstborn, inheritance, any kind of heirloom, 
All they, their thinking is, what can I get? Gimme, 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 gimme. Right? You can't get anything outside of an identity. First and foremost, you are an heir of what a who he is. And then you are an heir to all he has. All he has is vested in his father. All that the son receives comes from the father. And the son can do nothing of himself except he hears and sees the, the father do. Sonship is dependent on fatherhood. The son is not independent from the, the father. So the son, the firstborn son, is Christ Jesus. And Romans 8, 28 and 20, chapter 8, verse 28 and 29 says, We know that all things work together for the good to those that love God, to those that are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestinated that, he, uh, that they might be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn in many brethren. Right? We were designed to be conformed to the image of His Son. The nature of His Son is being fashioned or formed in us. That nature in sonship is defined as firstborn sonship with specific rights and very clear responsibilities. So, they that receive the Lord constitute His church, the many-membered body of Christ. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23 says, But you have not come to Mount Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the the new Jerusalem, to myriad of angels, it says. To the spirits of just men made perfect. It says to the church of the firstborn, the new Jerusalem that descends from above. This description of the church, the church is described by many things in the Bible. For me, this description of the church in Hebrews 12 is the most succinct, the most comprehensive the most substantial, because it defines us. We are the church, but it describes us as the firstborn. It's not as though we're simply one of many other sons that God has, but this term implies that we are in the same character degree as the firstborn Christ Jesus himself. So, as he has access to the Father, so do we. Our first point of inheritance is the Father, is God himself. Right? But to get that, you need an identity called firstborn sonship. That is why in the listing of your, the aspects of your inheritance on page 1, the first thing that I put there is that you are an heirs, we are heirs of a sonship identity. Because it's by virtue of your identity as a son that you will access your resource, your reservoir, the fullness, the plenitude, the plentitude of all that your father represents. Right? So Hebrews chapter 1, I'm just rehearsing quickly. Hebrews chapter 1, let me just please entrench this in your spirit. We, we laid this out um, 
very thoroughly on Friday. But just to mention a few things. In Hebrews 6, the Son is given a position of preeminence over angels. And that Son is Christ Jesus, but it also refers to us. And it says this. He's been given a name. Everyone say name. But a more excellent name. A more excellent name called Son. That name is substantive. It, it has the capacity to represent threefold things. It is solid. It is real. It is substantial. These are all symbolic meanings of the, of the number three. Threefold, more excellent things. But in Son is the capacity to represent fullness of deity in the principle of Christ. I said to you, whenever the principle of Christ comes into the earth context, it comes in as Son. And in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead or the deity dwells bodily. So the term Son is superior to that of angels. For to at no stage, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, at, did he ever say, you are my son, to an angel. Angels don't know sonship. In fact, they desire to peer into, and the Bible says, literally, the symbolic uh, application or meaning is this, they stand on tiptoe to peer over, to look into all that we have in Christ. They want to study us to know the fullness of what the Father has graciously given to us. So angels peer over, standing on tiptoe, literally, to understand our inheritance in Christ. The Father, by His gracious design, has given us an identity called Son. What is your name? Answer me. Son, firstborn son. When we sing songs like, He knows my name. I'm not thinking He knows Randolph Barnwell. That for me is not so important as He knows. When I sing that song, I'm thinking, He knows my name. He knows my identity as His son. He's firstborn son. And so, um, listen carefully. God says to this son, He will be my son and I will be His father. And then in verse 6, he says, and therefore I send my firstborn son into the world. I'm talking about Hebrews chapter 1. Then we went on to Psalm 89, and there also, listen carefully, um, is a reference of David as an example of a firstborn representation. And God says concerning David, I will make him my son, my firstborn son, the highest of all the kings of the earth. Next verse, right? He shall call me Father. David shall call me Father. And then he says, and I will make him my firstborn. The firstborn reality is going to be made. God says, I make him my firstborn. The word made is Nathan, which means to set, to place, to constitute and by its Greek equivalent, Paul used this, by its Greek equivalent, titama, it means to set as a foundation. So when God says of David, I make you as my firstborn, God says, I constitute you. I set you, I place you strategically, and I put you as a foundation upon which I'm going to build all of my purposes. Now, interestingly, I said to you, the same word is used when God said to Abraham, I will make you a father of many nations. 
The father is made, but the firstborn son is also made in the same manner. Principle being that the firstborn son has got the capacity to fully represent all that fathering is. For both are made. But you can never enter the realm of father until you come in fully with the identity of of firstborn. This is critical for you to understand. And I just want to quote a verse to you that we, we ended off. Jeremiah 31, 9 says, I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. There's so many examples in the Bible where God first talks about fathering, then the making of a firstborn. I'm a father, and then the manifestation will be firstborn. And I encouraged you and I, for us to really develop this uh, concept this reality, this representation, this life, this behavior called firstborn sonship, what we must really understand. If I were you, I would simply seek to know, I would be firm in my conviction that I am a firstborn son. Then my quest would be to develop intimacy with my father. Of David, it says, he shall cry, you are my father. Next verse, and I will make him my firstborn son. Firstborn sons always emerge within the context of one who cries for fathering. And God heard the groans of Israel. And he said, let my son, my firstborn son, go. Okay? And so I want to encourage you to, um, uh, to really develop intimacy with God the Father. Now, I've, I've studied inheritance and I've come up with 12 component components of our inheritance in God. They're not really 12 separate parts to a whole. For me, you must understand it like this. Somebody asks you, what is your inheritance? Your inheritance is God, your father. By virtue of an inherited name. You have an inherited name. God gave you a name that is more excellent than angels. He nothunned you constituted you as his son, as the basis, the foundation, upon which all of his purposes shall be built. You in your firstborn sonship have the capacity to not only represent your father, but to be fully resourced by your father. And you come into a realm of unlimited resource, unlimited impartation of his fathering nature to you. Now we understand scriptures like, Isaiah, and uh, unto you a son shall be given, a child shall be born. He shall, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, and Ever. The son given is called Everlasting Father in sonship. And everlasting is not simply unending as in timeless. It, it alludes to the vastness of both the nature and the resource that God the Father is. That's who I am. Tell your neighbor, that's who I am. You double-click on Randolph Barnwell, you're going to open up a world called the Heavenly Father. I exist as His firstborn son in the earth. And that is why, listen carefully, I'm focusing now on developing my love for people in a very significant way. I want to be known as one that loves, one that forgives. You can mess up big time. 
But I will love you and express, if you repented, the mercy of the Father, the grace of the Father. Right? Um, that is why, listen carefully, God spoke to me recently. Don't respond out of the soul area to the weaknesses of your sons. Don't respond out of anger to the deficiency of your sons. Simply love them as a father and your love for them will correct their deficiencies. Develop your love. You know why? You've been translated, Colossians says, out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of what? His beloved son, literal Greek rendering is the son of his love. That means two things. It means one, the son is the recipient and the beneficiary of the father's love. Yes. But secondly, the son is also the continuum of the father's love. The, the point from which love flows. So everyone say kingdom. The spatial sphere of your existence is not the world. It's the kingdom of God. That kingdom must be characterized by sonship. Sonship is characterized by love. Because son shows love and God is love. So the father is love and he wants to fully express himself through you. I want to encourage you, brethren. Show love. And I, 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 I encourage you. You must be strong in the thing by which you will be judged one day. Right? In the idols contest, you can come at the auditions. You know, you like to watch those programs. When they audition, you can come with your guitar or your keyboard. And you can be highly proficient in your musical expertise. And audition. And sing. But the judges aren't judging you by your musical proficiency. They're judging you by your vocal quality. Because it's a, it's a vocal show. It's not an instrumental show. The judges will even overlook poor musical performance if your vocals are good. Right? Now the judge of all the ages, when we stand before him at our final audition, he's not going to be looking for a whole range of things. And John says this, by this, yeah, because let me just say this, in the firstborn teaching, everywhere I go, it's been branded, this phrase, everywhere. As he is, so are we. As he is, so are we. And it's true, but that verse is found in a particular context. Let me quote the whole verse. Lest we only quote part of it and we forget what qualifies us for it. By this, it says, John says, will we have confidence in the day of judgment? Because love has been perfected in us. As he is, so are we in this world. You only have confidence if His love is perfected in you. When you stand before God, think about it, brethren. Everyone that murmured against you, hated you, rebelled against you. And if you can stand before God one day and say, Father, in all of my relationships, all I ever sought to do was to manifest your love. God says, gold ticket, enter thou into thy inheritance. Hmm? I want to challenge you. Develop love as, the, as a strong point in your life. Amen? Go overboard. Just love, 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 love. Because the kingdom is about love. These three things shall abide. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of all of these is, is, is love. Amen? Now, okay, I'll 
I want to continue on um, this particular study today. Study session three is seriously important, right? And there were not too many people here on Friday, so I feel it was such a critical study. I was almost tempted to repeat it, but I want to go on for the sake of our recording. Our audience is not just this. Now we have a global audience with every recording goes on to our website. So I want to continue for the sake of those who were here. Now, so for those of you that weren't, please listen to the CD and then also read the notes so that you get into the spirit of what we are saying. Amen? Now, the focus for this session is that the mature son is the heir of all things in Christ. Now, basically, if you look on the board here, you are heir of all things in Christ. Adam was only given custody over the earth. Right? We are not after the inheritance in Adam. We are after our inheritance in Christ. In Christ, Colossians says, both things seen and unseen, visible and invisible. In fact, he says, all created things will be summarized into Christ. And so we are heir of all things, both the heavenly dimension, unseen, and the earth realm. Now, when I did my word search on the words inheritance, inherit, inherited, basically, and there are many others, but I want to keep it, our discussion to these. Number one, you are in, you are, your inheritance is God the Father. Your inheritance is a sonship identity, a name called son, by which you access that. That's I said to you, is the primary focus of our inheritance. But from there, will flow a whole lot of things. Don't seek to get the rest till you got this right. Don't seek none of this until this is firmly established in your life. In the Bible, it says that we are heirs of salvation, Hebrews. It says that we are heirs of eternal life. It says that we are heirs of immortality. The Bible says we are heirs and we will inherit the kingdom of God. Scripture also says that we are heirs of the prophetic of the Abrahamic promise, and that we are heirs of the blessing. I'll explain all of this. Then the Bible also too says we are heirs of the earth, this physical planet. We are heirs of the earth. We are heirs of the world. And these two concepts are different in the Bible. We're heirs of the earth. We're heirs of the world. And the Bible says we are even heirs of the nations. The earth is the Lord, the people and all that is in it. Psalm 24 says. So let me just say this. You have a beautiful inheritance in God. And I think, I've never been so more confident about a study series like I am on this one. I feel the anointing of the Lord when I study it. I sense the speaking of the Lord. And I know God is leading us into a practical expression of all of this. Amen? And so I want to encourage you, your inheritance is your father by virtue of your sonship. And to the son, he gives him heir of, to the son, he gives him heir of all things. What I want to do now is quickly in the next 15 minutes, we won't finish it obviously. We'll start it now, we'll conclude it on Wednesday night. Number one, you are heirs of salvation. Hebrews 1 chapter 14 says, are they, and that they alluded to here, are angels celestial beings with wings, etc., full of light. 
are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render what? To render service for the sake of those who would inherit salvation. Okay? Now please your attention here. If you are an inheritor of salvation, that means salvation must characterize the entirety of your life and your being. Your being is spirit, soul, and body. When you got saved and you said yes to the Lord, your spirit was entirely regenerated. Your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, is in the process of being renovated and being renewed daily. Your thinking is adjusted as you are exposed to the word of the Lord. Your body right now is not completely saved or redeemed because you still suffer sickness, disease, and death, physical death, is still a reality. Paul in Corinthians talks about that and he says he is waiting for the redemption, the final redemption of this body when this corruptibility will put on incorruption. Salvation is past, present, and future. He has redeemed us. He doth redeem us. And He will yet redeem us. My spirit has been saved. My soul is being saved. My body awaits final redemption. That is part of my inheritance. Listen carefully. If a lawyer phones you and say, um, this guy left the world, your name is in it. Will you go to the meeting? Yes or no? Yeah, I'm going to be there early too. <laughs> if there's a will, I want to be in it. What I'm basically, stuff we know, what I'm laying out for you is stuff the Father has left you in the will. And all I'm asking, realize it, appropriate it, grasp it. First thing God has given you is salvation. How many of you are thankful and grateful for the fact that He saved you? You were once objects of His wrath. The Bible says, have now become objects of His mercy. Amen. Thank God that we are saved, that we are sons of God by virtue of... And let me just say this. This is your inheritance. Secondly, you are an... You, you inherit eternal life. Just before we go on, in the context of Hebrews 1.14, the Bible talks about ministering spirits which are angels sent to those who are heirs of salvation. And I want to encourage you like I have did before, we are going to see the activity of angelic beings far more than we've ever seen before. Right? They're there to minister to us, listen carefully, as we appropriate the fullness of our salvation inheritance. You're going to see the intervention of angelic beings in human life. Amen? In human life. I was cutting the trees outside uh, two weeks ago. There's a tree outside my yard. Many of you know it. And the municipality is tardy in coming to cut it because it's being overgrown. And some unsavory characters normally come and park their cars under them. All sorts of things go on. So we like to keep it short so that we see what's going on. Also, I parked my car there. So I decided I'll do this myself. At least the area where I parked. So I got my ladder and I got a long cutter and I'm busy cutting branches away just so that I can park correctly. And at one point, I tipped, trying to reach the 
branch. I was balancing quite precariously. And I felt, hey, this is, we're definitely going down here. You know when you got that feeling? And all you do is, you brace yourself, to, how am I going to negotiate this for? You know, and you, <laughs> you're thinking quickly. And I'm prepared to look for a landing spot. And literally, it's like a wind or something that steadied it. And I was thoroughly convinced it was an angel. Thoroughly convinced in my mind that an angel was here looking after me. Small little incidences, yes, for our protection. But especially, listen, as we pursue the will of the Lord for the nations. Now, wherever I go in the world, I'm expecting angelic in, in, intervention. Right? To aid the mission. Amen? Because I'm an heir of salvation. Amen? Tell your neighbor you're an heir of salvation. You're also an heir of eternal life. Everyone say eternal life. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Eternal life, listen carefully, yes, does refer to an eternal life, timeless life. But it is more than um, time. It's not a time-related word. Eternal life speaks to an abundant life. A full life even in the year and now. Amen. Even in the year and now. And God expects you to have a good life. Listen to me. God expects you to have a, an abundant life. A happy life. God expects you to be content. Even in the midst of your most severest trial. Life eternal means the God kind of life. The Zoe life in the year and now. And I want to encourage you, appropriate that. It's God's will. It's part of your inheritance. It's God's design and purpose for your life. Titus 3, 5 to 7 said, He saved us, not on the basis of what we have done. On the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that being justified by the grace, we would be made what? Heirs. Tell your neighbor we are heirs. We are made heirs according to the hope of life eternal. Matthew nineteen twenty nine. Everyone who has left houses, brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Eternal life is part of your inheritance in Christ. Again, I want to stress, it's not simply a life eternal, timeless, beyond the year and now. It alludes to a quality of life that is full content, well-resourced, according to the will and the design of the Lord for your life. That is something you can grasp after, appropriate, affirm in God your Father. He will take care of you and give you a quality of life that is in keeping with His fatherly nature. Amen? I really believe God wants to raise our quality of life, our level of happiness. Many people aren't happy 
Right? Many people don't smile. The, the, the joy, the laughter is gone. And God wants to restore all things. The thief, which in that context, by the way, is not the devil in John 10.10. 10. You must read the context. Right? The spurious leader, the illegal uh, shepherd comes. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I, the good shepherd, have come to give you life and that more abundantly. Fifthly, we are heirs of immortality. Everyone say immortality. Right? I say this, 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor, do, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The fact that we are going to overcome the last enemy, which is death, is part of our inheritance in God. And I want to encourage you, Paul pressed toward this um, expression of immortality even in his day. It's something that we, we have faith for, something we believe God for. It's something we pursue, it's something we press toward. Its actualization will only be realized at the time when we literally see him come. Because Corinthians teaches this. For when he comes, then this corruptible, it says, will put on incorruption. And this perishable will put on imperishability. Okay? We shall see him as he is. But even before that point, we press and we push towards this reality in our lives. There's always um, a well-proven sort of um, tenure in the scriptures that God's will to be enacted at a particular point in human history. And there are some people that access it before the time. Right? Remember the, the, the Syrophoenician woman? Jesus said, how can I take the bread of the children and give it to dogs? And she said, hey, but dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the, the master's table. What she was doing, God always had a plan for the Gentiles. But she was saying, yes, I know the primary focus of your ministry is towards the children of Israel. But here am I now, and I'm pushing into my inheritance in you, even now, before the time. Amen. And so it's a, it's a, it's, it's a principle in the word of the Lord. Everyone say immortality. Say it again, immortality. Say immortality is part of my inheritance in God. You must, you must believe it and appropriate this. Revelation 21 verses 3 to 7 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from the eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write these words are faithful and true. For he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts. From the spring of, from the water of life without cost. Everyone say water of life. I believe that's a reference to immortality. The water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. Are you an overcomer? Repeat after me. He who overcomes will inherit these things. 
And again, I want to stress, note what God is after, a father-son intimate relationship. He says, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Can you see the theme throughout the scripture? Hebrews 1.6, I will be his father, he will be my son. Of David, God said, he cries, my father. And then the Lord says, I make you my firstborn son. Jeremiah 31, Israel is my is my I will be a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn son always father son dynamics father son intimacies and let me just say this to you I really believe the quest toward immortality is going to be built upon a strong relationship intimate relationship between father and son the rate of transfer of his nature to us is going to be so much that the process of death will have to give up. Because the, 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 the substance of divinity is present in such strength in our lives. Okay? I forget the one great healer, I don't know who it was, but they put uh, bacteria and viruses on his body and the, it died. Literally it died. It was the sense of divinity, of immortality, the sense of eternal life was so strongly, pre- although he did eventually die, was so strongly within his life that even bacteria, he, came, he comes into an environment that is at enmity with the nature of God in, within him and the environment has to adjust itself to accommodate the presence of the divine. Amen. I want to encourage you. Appreciate your salvation. Appreciate the fact that you have eternal life, a good life in God. Appreciate the fact that immortality is part of your inheritance. Please remind the person next to you, you're going to live forever. <laughs> right? You're going to live forever. We're going to be immortal. Right? You better like me now because I'm going to be around a long time. <laughs> okay. Get used to me now. Right? And even... Okay, let me just say that. <laughs> immortality. Number six. We are heirs of the kingdom. And I'll stop with this one. We'll just do one more. Heirs of the kingdom. Now this for me is very, very important. And I want to really challenge us with this. The Bible says in James 2.5, Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He promised to those who love Him? How many of you love God? The Bible says he's made you an heir of his, of his kingdom. Question is, what is the kingdom? The kingdom is not the church and the church is not the kingdom. The church is an expression of the kingdom, but it's not the totality of the kingdom. These two terms are not synonymous throughout the Bible. They are not used interchangeably. Um, the church is like the head office of the kingdom. It's the, it's the venue from which the kingdom will find its expression and its establishment in the earth. I define the kingdom as follows in your notes. The kingdom of God is an all-pervasive. Everyone say all-pervasive. It's an all-pervasive superimposition of God's nature and will upon every expression of life, sector, and domain on planet earth and the entire created heavenly domain. That for me is a very succinct way of describing what is the kingdom. Please look at me. 
People ask you, what is this thing called the kingdom of God? You just think of two things. You just say, there's God, my father. He has two things. He has a nature and he has a will. He wants to take all of himself, his nature and his will, and he wants to, I use the word, superimpose. He wants to take it and he wants to let everything under his governance be characterized by all that he is. And there are two things in him. Character and nature, and then will and purpose. So the kingdom for me is this. It's the superimposition of the nature and the will of God the Father. And I use the word all-pervasive. If something is all-pervasive, it means there's nothing left out where this thing will not touch and affect when you go, Kyle, you work in the financial sector. When you go to your job at work, guess what? That is the kingdom. That is a domain where the nature and the will of your father has got to be superimposed. Some of your teachers, when you go to school, that's a domain where the nature and the will of the Lord must be superimposed. Lillian is working in the medical field. In your world, your world must become the expression of the the kingdom of God. And God put you there. God put you there as his firstborn son. The kingdom is basically seen, the seen realm and the unseen realm, that God's, God wants to impose of himself upon every sector of society, every domain in both seen and unseen worlds. That is our inheritance. Our consistent cry as firstborn sons is, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on the earth as it's done in heaven. That's our perpetual cry, is for the kingdom to come, for the will of the Lord to be done. Your marriage is part of the kingdom. Two things, nature of the Father and the will of the Father must be seen in how you relate to your wife, how you relate to your husband, how you relate to your kids. How you relate to your subordinates or your superiors in the workplace. How you relate to your colleagues on the same level. How you play a world match cricket game if you are a sports star. You come in there as firstborn in that sector, that domain. Kingdom must come. And you are the portal through which nature and will of the Lord is going to fit. If I were you, every aspect of your world, you must now think this is the kingdom. I come to church where I have a spiritual father, I'm a spiritual son, I have brothers. This is part of the kingdom, but this is only the head office. This is only the place where I'm groomed, where I'm shaped, where I'm chiseled, where Christ is formed in me. Then I go out into my world and I say, Lord, everywhere I go, let your kingdom come. Brethren, this is your inheritance. If you think I'm not able to do it. Stop thinking like that, Ongama. Say to yourself, wherever you are, say, I've come into a world as a firstborn son. I will superimpose the nature and the will of my father upon the entirety of all, everything I touch, all of my spheres of operation. When they see me as the son, they will say, sure, check the nature of the father in how he in how he handles himself, in how he manages, in how he talks, in, in how he relates to people. See the Father on display. What an awesome responsibility every single one of us have. 
Tell your neighbor, the kingdom is part of your inheritance. Say it again. The kingdom is part of your inheritance. Go to 2 Chronicles 21. We're going to spend a lot of time in 2 Chronicles 21. This is a heads up for the future. If you want to camp there for a while, read it every day if I were you. Read the whole chapter. It's a fascinating story. A drama of how this firstborn son, Jehoram, comes and takes the place of his father, King Jehoshaphat. Upon King Jehoshaphat's death, just before he dies, rather, he transfers the kingship to his eldest son. The primogeniture in his context is his eldest son, Jehoram. Biggest mistake you could ever make. And I'll, I'll relate why it was a bad choice later. But for now, I just want to draw the principle. The principle is this, in verse 3, reads as follows. Their father, this is, now there is all of Jehoshaphat's other sons. Their father gave them many what? Gifts of silver, gold, and precious things. With what? Fortified cities. But, everyone say but. Now this is a big but. Everyone say big but here. But the kingdom he gave to Jehoram for or because he was firstborn. Question, what do firstborns get? Talk to me. What do firstborns get? Kingdom to administer. Now there were four or five other sons, the names are listed in the chapter. Think about what this king does. He says, okay, the rest of you guys get gold, silver, and cities. Right? But the firstborn is not chasing after those things. The firstborn is chasing after the administration of everything. And I'll talk more to that when we do this unique case study of the firstborn sonship expression recorded for us in the Old Covenant. If you seek first the kingdom of, of heaven, of God and His righteousness, then the Bible says all other things will be whatever you need. But what should your pursuit be? The kingdom administration. Let me just say this. Think of, a, think of this boy, Jehoram. He's got the power to govern the entire kingdom. All of his other siblings got cities. They're all like mayors, but he's like the president. They're like mayors in the city. They're controlling an area. And they've got tremendous wealth. It gives them gold and silver. But here Jehoram sits as the administrator of the entirety of the, of the kingdom. The bad thing that this guy did, he killed, all, killed them all. He killed all his brothers to make himself secure. He doesn't, doesn't understand the nature of firstborn. Right? Now, I really want to encourage you, if you seek the kingdom first, in other words, just, just think like this. Posture yourself to fully reflect the nature and the will of the Lord in wherever you are. Just be obedient and be the representation of God in your world. And God supernaturally, I believe, is going to give you the power of influence. To administrate the kingdom is to have the power of influence. Right? Why govern a city when I have the power to make laws as to how to govern the city? It's like an unseen, invisible role, but it's highly effective, highly impactful. And I really believe in the season, God is he's calling us to be policy makers in the spirit. Amen? To declare what is legal and what is illegal. I'm speaking prophetically. I don't know exactly what I'm saying, but I speak prophetically to us. God is going to call us to be policy makers in the spirit. 
In other words, God will give you some kind of portfolio, some kind of inroads into a capacity to, in your decision making to affect the entirety of a realm. Even though you don't have actual jurisdiction or direct responsibility. But if you can impact, for example, let me give an example. Was Joseph a firstborn son? Yes or no? Yes. Who's, who did he replace as firstborn? Reuben. Reuben was number one in line. Joseph took his place. Who did Joseph father? Pharaoh. He said, I'm a father to Pharaoh. So then who was really governing Egypt? Joseph. Joseph fathered the man who governed the land. And so long as the fathering principle was in place, Israelites enjoyed great prosperity. The Bible says, when that Pharaoh died, another Pharaoh rose up that did not know Joseph. Joseph's dead now. And he began to oppress the people of Israel. Principle is this. Any Pharaoh that arises up that doesn't know fathering will always work against the, the purposes of the Lord. So long as the Pharaoh was fathered, God's purposes in Egypt um, um, succeeded and prospered for both the Egyptians and the people of God. But when a, re, a, when a leader comes up to occupy a position of influence, and that leader is not the recipient of fathering from a firstborn source, then the purposes of God run, go awry. And I feel in this season, God, I prophesy to the house. And don't be surprised when it happens to me and to you. When a significant person of influence comes under you and says, teach me your ways. But that person is occupying a strategic position in some key position. And as you father them, so you influence a whole realm. And the kingdom of God comes. That is part of my inheritance. That is part of who we are as a, as a local church. But as we close, right? As we close, firstborn sonship, right at the bottom, and kingdom representation or administration are linked. And as such, place a demand upon the firstborn to live a life of purity and obedience. I'm going to read the following scriptures in closing. Note the connection between purity and inheriting the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 says, Do you not know the unrighteous will not what inherit the kingdom? Do not be deceived, neither fornication, fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible is very clear about the caliber of people that are going to come into this realm. Right? Everyone say purity. Say obedience. You want this kingdom. There are, there's a profile expected of you as firstborn. Right? You clean up your life because of the realm of office and responsibility that God has for you. Amen? Just quickly, Ephesians 5, 3 to 5. But immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you as it is proper among 
the saints. And there must be no filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty. Does it say with uncertainty? It says with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Everyone say again, obedience. obedience. Say purity. Yeah. Last scripture, Galatians 5.18. For if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, that constant relation of fights, strife, etc., jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, in case you say my one's not in the list, it says things like these cover everything else. Right? In other words, in like manner. Things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. Can you see the demand placed upon us firstborn sons? I don't know about you, but I want to administrate God's kingdom on his behalf. But it's going to be given to a person of obedience and a person of absolute, absolute purity. I've got to just quote the one last verse at right at the back of your, the last page. I'm going to quote this at the end of every session. Psalm 16 Repeat after me, the Lord is my portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. Let's read it together in unison. One, two, three. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. You have a beautiful heritage. God, in His wisdom, the lines have fallen to you. But, before you put your notes away, Hebrews chapter 3 is a sobering chapter to read. Like we've just read of how purity and obedience must characterize all firstborn sons. And verse 14, it's there in your notes. Verse 14, on the same page in the New Living Translation, says the following, For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all things that belong to Christ. An amazing scripture. But if you are steadfast to the end, it says, an amazing thing, eh? on the diagram here, it says we, the church of the firstborn, we will share in everything, in all things that belong to Christ. Right? When I read that in the New Living Translation, wow, it was the scripture for me that basically succinctly encapsulates this truth. As he is, so am I. What he is, I have. All that he is proven to, I have. It says, everything that belongs to Christ, 
I can share in only if I keep myself faithful and steadfast unto the end. I'm saying all of this. You know what? We are at a critical juncture in our journey as a corporate house. Now is not the time to stand aloof, to stand at a distance. Now is not the time to stand with issues at this stage. Now is not the time. If you, if you were to manifest, you should have manifested last year. Could have dealt. Now is like so critical in terms of where we are. Brethren, don't mess up now. Not now. Please, not now. Right? I'm saying this. I want to quote it to you again to impress it upon your heart. If we remain faithful to the end, trusting God as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. I don't know about you, but this was my cry and my passion. I said to the Father, I want to share in everything that you have given to Christ. I want to share. I want part of that. That's part of my inheritance. Amen. Come on, say it with me again. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. Amen. Let's, let's just thank the Lord. Father, we just thank you for all that you've given to us. What a privilege, Father. What an awesome privilege. You've given us an inheritance of salvation, of eternal life, of immortality, of the kingdom, of you. We share in you. And to you has been given the inheritance of all things by your Father. What a privilege we have, Father. We bless you. We honor you. Lift up your hands. We honor you for this inheritance. I will never sell my birthright by appeasing my flesh for one moment's satisfaction of gratifying sensuality and the weakness of my flesh. I will not do that. Not sell my birthright for a bowl of soup. I don't want to be hated like God hated Esau. I have a goodly heritage. My heritage is so beautiful to me, Father, for all that you've given to me. I will be diligent. Come on, I want you to make a commitment. Lift your hands up high. Father, we, we make a commitment. We will be diligent. We will be faithful unto the end. For all that you've given Christ, you've desired us to share in. And so we will be diligent. We will not succumb to the deceitfulness of sin. We don't want to lose our inheritance in the kingdom. But we want to inherit all things that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.